Well, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. That's page uh, 968 in the Church Bibles, uh, or page 1505 uh, in, the, in the Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. And we've already uh, read most of this passage together, uh, but tonight we're going to look specifically at verse 9. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Well, we're coming towards the end of the centenary of the end of the First World War, the the end of the centenary of the First World War, uh, which ended in 1918. And it's interesting um, to note, if you read history, that the beginning of the 20th century was actually a time of great optimism. It was hailed by many as a time of peace and prosperity, uh, and people thought that man had come to the point where war was going to end. Well, in 1914, not long into uh, the 20th century, the First World War began, and 30 million people lost their lives. And it showed that the beginning of the 20th century, their idea of peace and prosperity was nothing more than just empty idealism. Well then, just over 21 years later came the Second World War, in which over 90 million people lost their lives. And this came after the founding of the League of Nations, which after the First World War, nations got together and said, no more of this, we're going to make peace, we're going to all get along together. And most of those in the League of Nations were involved in fighting in the Second World War. And people have been dying in war since then. If you go to the National uh, War Arboretum, Uh, just up the road, you'll see the names of thousands of men and women who have lost their lives since the Second World War, and that's just from our nation. There have been millions and millions who have died just in the last 100 years in conflict. In the last 4,000 years, it's been estimated that there have been only 300 of those years without a major war. But that doesn't look into just people dying in conflict between two people or just a few people. Peace is something which seems to remain elusive. It's not just elusive in terms of war, when you consider the breakdown of marriage in our society. When you think of industrial relations, strikes happening all the time. When you see politics people often seem to hate each other. There seems to be a lack of peace in every area of every society in every age of the history of humanity. But even in our own lives as individuals, can we really say that we are at peace all the time? Conflict happens in our homes, in our workplaces, and can even arise within our church. We have a problem with peace. And in Jesus' day, things were no better. In fact, the Messiah that the Jewish people expected was one that was going to be a military leader that would destroy the occupying Roman Empire. They expected 
not someone that was a peacemaker, but someone that would come and win great victories in battles. So you can imagine their surprise when Jesus comes and in his Beatitudes he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Well, what is the peace that Jesus is talking about here? When you ask people about peace, it's probably true to say that they think of, or and you may think of this, the absence of conflict. So when nobody's killing each other, well then there's peace. But that's not really true, is it? It's not peace when there's merely no one killing each other. That might just be truce. It might even be called Cold War. There are many households where there is no one killing each other, but there is cold war. There is not peace. Many uh, a marriage is broken down without murder. Many children and parents have been estranged without murder. There is not peace, though, in those situations. In the Bible, peace involves reconciliation. If I'm at war with somebody and we agree just to stop fighting, that doesn't mean that there is peace. That means there is truce. True peace comes when not only does the fighting stop, but there is reconciliation with the one that I'm fighting with. Peace is also not just appeasement. Appeasement is is peace at any cost. We'll do whatever it takes to not have war. Where we would allow wrongdoing to continue in order to keep the peace or not cause contention. Allowing wrongdoing to carry on is not peace, that is appeasement. Jesus is not just talking about making peace by allowing wrong to continue. The peace that Jesus talks of here is peace that deals with the problems that causes the unrest and makes them right. Jesus' peace deals with the root cause. Uh, One writer says this about peace. Peace is never only the absence of trouble, but the presence of everything which makes for a man's highest good. Another way of looking at it is to say that true peace is the absence of sin and the presence of righteousness. The absence of sin and the presence of righteousness. And in fact, peace and righteousness in the Bible are linked together. We see that in the Beatitudes. Notice, where does peacemaking fit? It comes, look, after verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It talks of holiness. And after holiness comes, blessed are the peacemakers. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12 and verse 14, this is what we read. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone, and look how it's linked, and to be holy... For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And this brings us to the problem we have with humanity, with peace. Why is peace so elusive? Why is there conflict all the time? Well, most of us, I'm sure, would agree with Jesus' statement that being a peacemaker is a good thing. If you were to do a telephone poll and find out from everybody who lives in Pelsall, do you think that being a peacemaker is a good idea? Everyone would say, yes, of course, being a peacemaker is a great idea. 
of all the Beatitudes, possibly this one is the one that the the non-Christian thinks is the greatest. A peacemaker, yes. But it's elusive. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. And because of sin, it's impossible for anybody to truly say that they are a peacemaker. The problem is sin. And because of sin, we see the problem with this beatitude. The problem is sinful humanity are not peacemakers. Even after the Second World War, the United Nations came into existence. And their stated aim still is this, to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war. That's what the United Nations Declaration says. They exist to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war. Well, it's a great aim, isn't it? A laudable aim. But the biggest problem that the United Nations have is that it's a union of human beings. It's a union of sinful people. But there was a time in human history where there was peace in the world. Where there was the absence of sin and the presence of righteousness. And that was the Garden of Eden. After God had created the world, he created it very good. It was, uh, it was perfect. Humans were without sin and they had perfect peace with God and peace with each other and peace with the creation around them. But sinful humanity rebelled against God. And when they sinned, this peace was over and it has never fully returned for humanity. After Adam and Eve sinned, God told them there would not be peace anymore between them and God, them and creation, and them and each other. In regards to each other, listen to what God said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. He said this to the, to the, to the woman, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now what this means is that the desire here is that the woman will desire to have the position of her husband. That is, she will desire to manipulate him and rule over him. But the husband, it says, will rule over you. And that means that the husband will have a a domineering rule, not a loving rule. In other words, God is saying there will no longer be peace between man and woman. Peace between each other is gone. And this is the the natural bent of the husband and wife in any relationship towards each other. Well, in the next chapter of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, we see the first murder. Abel was murdered by his brother Cain. And the rest of Genesis up to the flood is a sad story of human conflict after the fall. Mankind from the fall have not been at peace with each other. The relationship with creation was broken after the fall. The curse in Genesis 3 also talks of hard work to grow food and and thorns and thistles in the ground. But the break with creation is most clearly shown in God having to make an animal sacrifice to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. There was an animal killed. Peace with creation was gone. But it all boils down to the broken relationship with God. This is shown in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. 
after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, there was a barrier to the garden, a barrier to the presence of God. Because of sin, the relationship has been broken and there is no peace between man and God. And as children of Adam, we have inherited this sin nature and so none of us can be peacemakers because true peace cannot coexist with sin. And so in the New Testament, in James chapter 4, we read this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that batter within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Why is there wars and fights? Because of the desire, the sinful desire that battles within us. We want what we want and when we don't get it, we want to take it. And all wars and all fights come when sinful desire on one side or both sides clash and there is division. And the problem we have, as we looked at last week, is the problem is in our hearts. Jeremiah uh, tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And Isaiah chapter 48 verse 22 tells us, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. No peace for the wicked. And all of us in our hearts are wicked. Sinful humanity can never be peacemakers. No matter how good our intentions, no matter how laudable the United Nations Declaration is, and it is a good declaration, except that it's humans that are trying to fulfill it. In a lecture delivered in 1948, Albert Einstein made the following comment on the threat of nuclear warfare. He said, and he was not a Christian, it is not a physical problem, but an ethical one. What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart, its explosive power for evil. And that was, that was a non-Christian, that was Albert Einstein, talking about the threat of nuclear war. And we know that's true, don't we? The, the problem isn't the bomb itself. It's that mankind is on the trigger. And we have a wicked, sinful heart. But there is hope. When sin is eliminated, then peace comes. And we've looked at this over this Easter period, where we've seen the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in him we see that God is the peacemaker. The biggest breach of peace is between man and God. That angel with the flaming sword blocked the way to God. And the flaming sword represents the same problem of alienation from God, and it represents it in two ways. Outside of God's presence, we die. But if we try to get to God's presence, we die. There's a problem. We can't get there, and when we're outside, we die. You see, that break of peace with God results in death. And one way of looking at the Bible, actually, from Genesis 3 onwards, is to try and answer this question. 
Who can go through the fire? Who can go through the fire? Who can go to get access with God? And in the Old Testament, the fire of God's wrath was taken by animal sacrifices. They went through the fire. But the animal sacrifices took the punishment for sin in our place and they they satisfied God's anger. But the problem was that sin kept happening and animals had to keep on being sacrificed. And they pointed forward to the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ once for all, for all of our sin. And the Old Testament prophets look forward to a day as we read at the very beginning of our service. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7, we read of the one to come, the Prince of Peace. And we looked at this last week, the promised one deals with our sinful hearts. And when our sinful hearts have been dealt with, there can be peace between man and God. And in the New Testament, we read of how Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place as our substitute. And he could do this because he was perfect. He was the Prince of Peace because there was no sin in him. The sin that breaks peace was not in Jesus. And because he was perfect, he could pay the penalty for our sin. He could go through the fire of God's wrath. And he did so for us. He paid for our sin. He rose from the dead. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's interesting that after Jesus rose from the dead, in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of John, he gave a greeting to his disciples, which was a traditional Jewish greeting, but had a whole new meaning. And the greeting was this. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And there was peace. Peace between man and God because Jesus Christ has gone through the fire. And then we read in the New Testament such wonderful verses. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We've read this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, we were outside of his presence, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So God is the peacemaker between people and God. But because of what Jesus has done, God is also therefore the peacemaker between person and person. All the barriers that are in place between us are broken down by Jesus Christ because we as Christians are one in him. And the teaching of the New Testament is that we are brought into a family. We are brothers and sisters under a heavenly father. And so we read passages like this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians chapter 
2 verses 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, one out of the two, thus making peace. There is no barriers anymore. In the church, we we can have the rich and, and the poor, the man and the woman, the slave and the free. All nations, all colors, all creeds can meet together and worship and serve the same Heavenly Father. This was uh, something the early church had to come to understand. The gospel at first was seen as only for the Jews. But Peter the Apostle was shown that it was for Gentiles too. And in Acts he goes to Cornelius' house. And there he sees this Roman centurion, uh, not a Jew. He was saved wonderfully and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And later on Peter had to explain this to his fellow Jews. And he said to them, You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And throughout the rest of Acts, we see the gospel going to all the world as it's preached. He's Lord of all people, of all people groups. Just uh, the other month, wasn't it wonderful, uh, when the SGA were here, and we heard that story of how in Romania, uh, the the story was told of how the, the gypsies in Romania are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And it was, we were told of how barriers that used to be in place are being broken down because people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And the gypsies are now seen not as foreigners and, and strange folk from somewhere else, but brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what we're talking of here. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Because he has made peace between man and God, we have the same Heavenly Father, we have peace with one another. Truly, as uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, he is the God of peace. But I want to deal with perhaps what some of you may see as an objection. In Matthew chapter 10 and verses 34 and 36, Jesus says this do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth I did not come to bring peace but a sword for I have come to turn a man against his father a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law a man's enemies will be the members of his own household well this verse at first reading doesn't appear to fit with this beatitude does it of being a peacemaker, there's not much peacemaking that seems to be going on here. But the point is that the gospel is always going to bring division. It's always going to bring division, even within families. Those that continue to rebel against God are not going to be want to be at peace with Christians. You see, true peace can only come when there's reconciliation on both sides of that divide. And people are at war with God, and that lack of peace is the fault of those who don't want peace with God. But we need to make sure as Christians, and we'll see this more as we apply this in our lives, that it's the gospel that they oppose, and not our objectionable behaviour.
And we'll see this more next week as we look at being persecuted for righteousness' sake. But we must understand the gospel brings division. But when people come under the gospel, they submit to Jesus as Lord. There is peace then between man and God and person and person. But we need to make sure that when we present the gospel, yes, it's offensive, but make sure it's the gospel that offends and not you that's being offensive. Well, sinful humanity are not peacemakers. God is the peacemaker. And when we're brought into his family, God's children are peacemakers. The blessing in this beatitude in verse 9 says, For they will be called the children of God. The word for children here actually uh, talks more of character than it does of position. Uh, The same word can be used in Matthew to describe the character of people. I'm going to give you uh, two examples. Uh, In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 31, Jesus talks of uh, children of those who murdered the prophets. Children of those who murdered the prophets. And he's talking of the Pharisees. And he's saying, you Pharisees are just like the Old Testament people who murdered the prophets. Another example is uh, James and John were brothers. And what were they called? Sons of Thunder. Now their father wasn't called Thunder. He wasn't like an X-Man or something like that. Uh, They were... their, Their character was tempestuous. And so Jesus called them sons of thunder because that's what their character was like. And the same kind of thing is going on here. We, we say it when, that, when people say, uh, you're your father's son or you are your father's daughter. You know what that means. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that a peacemaker will be called a child of God because they're just like their heavenly father. Uh, J.C. Ryle sums up the Beatitude uh, in this way. Blessed are the peacemakers. They are doing the very work which the Son of God began when he came to earth the first time and which he will finish when he returns the second time. So we know that we are God's children when we are peacemakers. And there's a a logical flow to this, isn't there? God has made peace with us through Jesus Christ and we are now God's children with new hearts. And so with that new heart, we imitate our Heavenly Father by being peacemakers. Now because of sin, peacemaking is not a natural disposition. This is countercultural. But all of the Beatitudes are, aren't they? All of the Beatitudes are distinctive Christianity. But crucially, because I have a new heart, I'm able to be a peacemaker through the power of the Holy Spirit. In saying blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus is not talking about politicians. He's not talking about diplomats. He's not even talking about the winners of the Nobel Peace Prize. He's not talking about organizations like the United Nations or Amnesty International. He is talking about Christians. Because Christians have had their sin dealt with, forgiven, cleansed. Christians have been given new hearts. Christians have the Holy Spirit of the God of peace in them. And so Christians can say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. So what does this look like? What does it look like to be a peacemaker? Well, as I said, it's not a a disposition. It comes uh, from 
a heart that is uh, changed by the Holy Spirit. It's linked actually to meekness. If you remember, meekness is letting go of pride before God and others. Those that recognize that they are poor in spirit and that they mourn over their sin, those people are meek. They recognize before God I'm nothing and they become, they give up their pride and they're, they're meek. But while meekness is more of an attitude, peacemaking is more active. It's actively looking for peace in all situations. And it's also, in the more passive sense, being a peaceable person. A quarrelsome person is never going to be a peacemaker, are they? Now there are four areas which I'm going to touch on very quickly where we are to be peacemakers. Four areas. The first one is peace in our own hearts. What I mean by that is that we need, by the power of the Spirit, to have victory over sin in our own lives. This isn't talking about sin's penalty, because we've been forgiven by the death of Jesus, but it's talking about growth in holiness. If sin is the problem, if sin, if, if the presence of sin means the absence of peace, then we need to be holy people, don't we? Which is why it comes after purity of heart. Uh, throughout the, the New Testament, in the, in the epistles, we read of putting off the old and putting on the new. And Paul talks about that, about being at peace with one another. And in those chapters of being at peace with one another, it's preceded by, put on the new man, be holy. You can't be a peacemaker with regards to other people when you're losing the war within your own heart. The pure in heart will see God, but the pure in heart will be peacemakers. So we need to have peace in our own hearts. Secondly, we make, uh, we're peacemakers through evangelism. Through evangelism. Evangelism is peacemaking in its highest form because it brings peace between man and God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about evangelism as the ministry of what? Of reconciliation. That's another word for being a peacemaker. We're in the business of reconciliation, where people are reconciled to the God that they have rebelled against. As with all of these Beatitudes, this should become more natural for us over time. We should want to tell people about Jesus. It's not the case that you need to... Um, you know, if this is not the case, if, if, you, if you don't ever feel any compulsion to talk about Jesus, then you need to examine your heart. Pray for the burden and then just go and do it. And let me say, practice at church. If we can't talk about Jesus to each other, we're not going to be able to talk about Jesus to those that aren't Christians. Because if you find a Christian in church that doesn't want to hear about Jesus, there's something wrong. Talk about Jesus with each other and talk about Jesus to others. Uh, the third way about being, being a peacemaker is where we make peace between each other. So we make peace in our hearts, we make peace through evangelism, we make peace between each other. I'm not just talking about a career in the foreign office or in the UN peacekeeping force, but just being a peacemaker in your own home, in your workplace, in your community, in the church. In all of those places, conflict arises from time to time. 
And as Christians, we should be the first to try and make peace. When we are the ones in conflict, the Bible actually teaches us that we should be at peace as far as we can be. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That means go as far as you can possibly go to make peace. You know, even if it's humiliating for yourself, be the first. Even if you're not the one in the wrong, go for it and be the first one to try and make that reconciliation and hold out the hand of fellowship. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 11 tells us to seek peace and pursue it. Go after peace. Well, this tells us about pursuing peace and seeking it. How can we do that? Well, first of all, we need to avoid conflict where possible. Avoid causes of contention. This isn't talking about avoiding gospel conversations. But if someone's getting really angry over your political views, then just keep them to yourself. If you know the conversation is going to wind someone up, it's probably not worth having. If your partner gets annoyed because you leave the toilet seat up, put it down, that kind of thing. But the second way about pursuing peace is seeking seeking to make peace when there is that division with somebody doesn't always mean peace will be the outcome. You can't control their response, but you can control your own. So say sorry. Be forgiving. Be approachable. So that the other person knows you're willing to accept them and accept the offer of peace. And, and be patient with each other. And, and one other thing, I mean, the Bible tells us a number of times, control your temper. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, perhaps generate you know, less heat and more light in your conversations. Don't be so, uh, you know, yeah, control your temper, that kind of thing. Uh, so make peace with one another and then uh, moving on, making peace with other people, as in other people that you are already at peace with but you see conflict between them. Try and be one that brings reconciliation when other people have fallen out as well. Uh, One uh, quote that Martin Lloyd-Jones says on this, he says, Let us be such people that all will come to us, that even those who have a bitter spirit within them will somehow feel condemned when they look at us, and perhaps may be led to speak to us about their problems. Be such a peacemaker yourself, that when people have fallen out, you are the one they will come to and say, Can you help me to make peace with this person? Well, the United Nations want to succeed in, in future generations being free from the scourge of war. But God has a plan for his people to be free from the scourge of sin. And because God is sinless, he is able to fulfill that plan. And as God's peacemakers, we are to work in that At the beginning of the Bible, we see perfect peace. Then we see peace destroyed. But at the cross, we see peace returned in part. But at the end of the Bible, we see peace fulfilled. And if you read the end of Revelation, when you see the new heaven and the new earth, where man and God, man and man, man and creation, are all reconciled fully. And that's where one day... The children of God will be.
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Amen. Well, let's respond uh, to what we have heard uh, by...